Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I just said, you know, just get well, Neil. I'm here for you. Don't worry. Not realizing what it would actually mean for me and for my life. Although it was Neil who had the brain tumor, I woke up to brain cancer for 13 years. And it may not have been in my head, but it certainly affected every area of my life. I would say to anybody caring for a loved one, you know, I take that hat off to you because you, you're amazing. Not everybody can do what you do, so be kind to yourself. You know, we're here to, dare I say, enjoy life as well. Do things for yourself every day to make sure that you're okay. Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan, And me, Julia Ajayi. Today we're really pleased to welcome to the show author and speaker, Sarah Chalice. Sarah spent 13 years caring for her husband, Neil, after he was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Her book, called Who Cares, is an honest account of her journey, the challenges she faced and how she met those challenges. It also contains important guidance for those of us in similar situations. So I first met Sarah um, when she was speaking at an event for carers at a local charity, which helps people with neurological conditions. And we instantly hit her off and it's just been so wonderful to be around her energy and absorb her wisdom. So I'm absolutely delighted that she can share that all with you today. And I'm really pleased that she's actually sitting next to me right now. Hello, hello. we have come together. (laughs) Um, So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really pleased to be here. Absolute pleasure. Your book, Who Cares, is I absolutely love it for for so many reasons. It's not just your account of dealing with somebody who's, you know, really very sick um, and caring for them for for such a long time. It has that blend of your story and situation, but also some amazing pointers for wellness, self-care, personal growth, dealing with other people. Oh, yes. Yes. We're definitely going to come on to psychology as well and a bit of science research things that I've gleaned along the way where I went oh that is so good for carers right now um and also for life so a lot of the things that you can learn within the book is for life and because I use it and others who you know were carers before they still use it oh I love this I which will will come on to obviously in in a bit which is which is wonderful um but yes I thought to myself towards the end of caring for Neil for those 13 years I thought nobody seems to know this stuff I've had to learn the hard way like most of us do 
And so I started to just jot down all the, I call it like the rakes in the garden, you stand on them and they just kind of hit you in the head <laughs> quite sharply. <laughs> all the places where I'd faltered, where things had gone wrong and got right, and where I'd learned. I'm like, that's where I'm going to share. So little mini kind of insight stories. And like I say, strategies as well and tools to help us cope, um, to make us more resilient again and actually enjoy life. Because, you know, even if you're caring for a loved one, you're still here for you. And I think a lot of us, don't, we're not there for us ourselves anymore. We, we're not even last on the list. We're not even on the list, <laughs> which I wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't until I hit crisis point with caring for Neil. Um, I'd been ill for months and months. You know, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour. I just said, you know, just get well, Neil. I'm here for you. Don't worry. Not realising what it would actually mean for me and for my life, you know, because these things are quite traumatic for us as well, because you're, if you're an empath and you're there with them, you're going through it as well. And this is how I would describe it. Although it was Neil who had the brain tumour, I woke up to brain cancer for 13 years. And it may not have been in my head, but it certainly affected every area of my life. And you know, you do things to compensate, to cope. So for me, it was Prosecco. <laughs> so what do, yes. you, what do you do to distract yourself? Some, I know some carers like gamble or, you know, it might be I know, emotional eating. I mean, I think we all like a bit of chocolate, most of us. But anyway, I for me, it was sometimes it was the glass at home. Sometimes it was the bottle. And I will say this, if, you, if I got out of an evening, I could drink my body weight in fizz. <laughs> And if you saw me on Facebook, well, I'd always got a smile on my face and a drink in my hand. And actually got, that got commented on a few times. I remember that. So I, I kind of started to call it fake book. Because <laughs> the thing is, I laughed with a good friend of mine, Cookie. I said, you know what? If I took a picture of myself every day at 4 p.m. of what I do, oh, my word, my life would look very different on Facebook, I can tell you. You know, it'd be changing Neil's diapers, hoisting him cleaning his feeding tube, um, waiting again at the pharmacy and getting annoyed with them because they've got it wrong, you know, getting him up to the um, hospital, you know, to, and getting second and third opinions because I was quite an interfering wife. <laughs> I just would not let it, you know, I was always pushing the boundaries of, you know, this can't just be it, there must be something more. Um, it just takes over your life and your soul and actually I was at that time, I was grieving as well. I was grieving mm. for what I'd already lost, which I, I know that the, for you guys, that, that must be how you're feeling as well. You know, you look at old photos, that time won't be here again. It's really focusing on the now and the presence of what you can do, not what you can't. And if I did get out of an evening, well, I felt guilty. You know, how dare I go out and have a nice time? Your husband's laid out in a hospital bed in the living room. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? How, you know, how dare you go? And that got commented on and judged sometimes because mm. that kind of codependence part kicks in as well. You know, people expect of you because you've been caring and you've been there to suddenly go off and do a little something for yourself. It's like, well, so, it, so you've got all these things that are happening. It is extremely complex. And I would say to anybody caring for a loved one, you know, I take that hat off to you because you, you're amazing. Not everybody can do what you do. So be kind to yourself. Yeah, that's something that we're not always good at doing. But the whole doing things for yourself is just 
is so important, isn't it? And, you know, all the time you are, you're so right, going through that grieving and dealing with, you know, being with someone every day, but they're not quite the person that they used to be. No, no, Neil changed quite considerably. I mean, mentally, emotionally, and physically, you know, he'd been this big six foot four rugby player. I mean, he played for Hampstead Rugby Club. He was captain there at one time. And he was reduced really, we were talking a bit about it earlier, like a hibernating bear at one time. His gait was wide and he's walking. He had like four tumours in his head at one time. So I thought it was quite limited time, but you know, you just never know how long people have got. Um, it's about focusing on today. So Neil was having falls. Um, we started to use a wheelchair. Um, and so that was going on and then he ended up having a stroke a number of years later he'd been he had chemotherapy for five years straight so i was in and out of hospital with him every week so that takes over your time as well but it was the stroke that really scuppered us because he nearly died in hospital and they just kept saying he said do not resuscitate and i thought well i don't want him dying in here i want you to bring him home so he came home and within I would say three or four days, he clearly changed and he was better. And I felt like wanting to go and say to the doctors, what are you doing wrong? But I think it was because he he'd come home, he was in the comfort of his own home and he had somebody there loving him, being there for him. And that's a really powerful thing. Carers don't realize, we kind of feel like we're existing for another or we're a bit of a dog's body. You're not, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you, you give them a quality of life. Um, I, a load of things that really encompasses for them you know you're lifting them up mentally emotionally and physically and I gave a talk a number of years ago to the Houses of Parliament uh, for the Brain Tumor Charity um, to raise awareness and, and create more funding and um, a neurosurgeon got up after me and he said he was often asked what was the best criteria for surviving a brain tumour and I thought oh, it must just be like his chemo or something called gamma knife but his answer surprised us all he said the best criteria for surviving a brain tumour was marital status. And I don't think you need to be married per se, but I think if you've got somebody like yourselves as a carer, being there for them, being that emotional, physical rock, it is a huge, huge boost to a point where it creates elong, you know, longevity. And I will say this, I feel that um, because Neil went downhill so rapidly in the hospice to a point where they said, oh, you know, he's gone down, be careful because he it could be only any time within a couple of days at back home he was better and and that that was like seven years before i think i feel neil's life it was extended practically seven years with the love and the care that he was getting because he would go down the hill so fast gosh that's incredible isn't it i think sarah it's so powerful to hear what you're saying and so affirming to um you know to our roles as carers just to hear you saying that this morning it really is um i wondered how you thought about the the statement that we often hear that carers often take a long time to self-identify as a carer maybe even um a over a year before people will talk about that and some of the conflict between being a carer and a partner or a a mm. wife or their mother or the different roles that that carers have um how do you talk about that and think about that I know you you mentioned some of this in your book but maybe you could talk a bit about that 
Yeah, thank you, Julia. Yeah, um, I mean, I certainly didn't think I was a carer right at the beginning. You know, you just say, I'm there for you, just just get better or let's. what do we need to do? And for years, people were not you know, associate themselves as a carer or a caregiver, as they're called in the US. You just get on with it. You, you know, you, you do what you'd want for yourself. So you don't think about that. But even with my next door neighbor, for example, his wife sadly had um, had a cancer in 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 COVID times, etc. And he still never saw himself as a carer for those couple of years. And sadly, she passed, um, even though he knew I'd been a carer next door and I'd written the book, but he just did wouldn't or didn't want to associate with that. Um, it's quite complex, isn't it? So there's a lot of us, you know, globally, well, let alone the UK. I, I don't, I, I still have mm. trouble really with that, that whole concept, because mm. I, I feel because Paul is pretty independent in so many ways. Like physically, I don't need to help him. Yes, mentally I do, and I'm doing so many other things as well, but I almost feel a kind of guilt of saying, well, I'm, I'm not like there's so many other people that actually do care, mm-hmm. like do all of that, but I don't feel I, I don't know, I, ha- I do have that conflict, definitely, and I still, it's still not something that I immediately identi- identify myself as. And does he... See how does he feel that knowing that you are a carer? Well, no, he doesn't think that I'm a carer. Yeah, no, <laughs> okay. he's like, I'm all right, Jack. I don't need anyone. I can do everything myself. But, you know, but he can't. He can't do everything himself. But you know, he is. He's made incredible progress. And at the beginning, I guess I had more of a caring role. When yes. you don't, you know, when you have all those concepts about it, and you're not identifying as that. So maybe because he's progressed upwards i've not had to really think about that too much mm. it's it's really interesting isn't it we're just there we're, we're there to help them at the end of the day and support them supporters i kind of think i'm more his supporter maybe yeah, yeah i think it is thing. very complicated isn't it as you say so it's very multi-layered and i guess for me i think that i did um self-identify as a carer after at least a year Um, but I think for me that unlocked other avenues of support that at that time were important for me Um, so I think that that's it can change over time as well for some people can't it and and um, you know has for you as well Sarah obviously for very sad reasons but uh, yeah I, I think it's not a fixed identity either for many people no, that's, oh, a, really, that's yeah. a really good point, mm. actually. For me, you know, if, if somebody's got a neuro condition, like you say, they can improve, they get better, or, you know, there can be this kind of line. But for me, for Neil, it was, you know, it, it was, he was kind of on a very slow slide, I suppose I would say, pretty much, you know, during those 13 years. But yes, it's very interesting when somebody then seems to get better. But you still got your eye on them. You're still responsible for them. Even if you kind of go out, you're, you know, you're, just you're still there you know you know just in case a button's pressed or something happens you're you're you know you're the overseer you know as you're kind of like the primary carer sort of thing even if they don't feel you are or even family don't really see you as a carer you know and as and also people would always ask how your loved one is but often don't ask how you are uh, is another one as well um so sometimes we need to be a little bit more vocal <laughs> as carers to kind of let them know how you're feeling and what you actually do. Because like me, like putting on that brave face, as we do, we're all we're all good at it. You know, drop the mask, be honest, just say, actually, do you know what I do? Because people don't realize 
what you do or you know even like kind of overseeing or managing so you're kind of quiet in the background but mm. making sure everything's okay when if you weren't there things would probably just all suddenly fall apart um but because you're doing such a good job you know even close family members won't realize and you know i think for many of us when i was asked you know what do you do if i was out and about or whatever i, I said oh i'm just a carer <laughs> it just mm -hmm. doesn't sound very mm -hmm. good when you say that i might as well have just said i'm a dog's body <laughs> just a dog's body <laughs> anyway um I kind of, <clears throat> that's kind of how I saw myself, but then there were knock on kind of things with, with that perception. I think for many of us as carers, we kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just existing. But and if you do that, it, for me, for example, like family would come and stay. And I remember one time I slept on the floor while they slept in the bed, which I would not allow now. But at the time I, I just left myself so last. It, we do have this knock on effect. So. We need to value ourselves, mm. value yourself of mm. what you do and making sure that you are okay because you're, you know, holding all the strings to making sure everything's okay. Even if others don't realize it's about having self-love, self-care, mm -hmm. resilience, knowing where to say no, knowing where to push back, really important mm. <clears throat> to keep yourself health, healthy and happy as much as possible. It just does become second nature, actually, everything that you do it is kind of because you've taken on those additional responsibilities over time that just becomes set and you and that's what you're doing. And then it's like when you look at the other side, it's like, well, most other husbands or partners, they do this, this and this. But actually, I'm doing all of that and I'm looking after the kids and I'm making the yes. tea and I'm doing this and I've got my life and I'm working. It's a lot of hats. There's, a lot of hats. I, yeah, we wear a lot of hats as yes. this caring persona. What are the key things that you have done to kind of manage stress that you would advise other people to do? And you do talk about this obviously in the book, mm -hmm. but kind of what are the top sort of tips? Okay, I think regularly taking breaks, take a break. And I know that for some of us, <clears throat> it's going to be very difficult <clears throat> because you're looking after your loved one. You can't suddenly just leave the house and just clear off anywhere. I understand that. But even breaks between chores, the things that you're doing, you know, just 10 minutes here, half an hour there, and, and write a list of things that you could do for yourself. Maybe it's a magazine you've not bought for a while. Oh, mine, you know, or a, a program you enjoy, or just a piece of music while you lay down, you know, or have a dance around the kitchen. Anything kind of, kind of get yourself... Mm shifting out of a kind of a particular kind of like a low mood or mm. whatever raising the um, energy raising the mm. energy is really powerful uh, for yourself not just physically but you know mentally as well so doing things for yourself every day is key and important so yeah take regular breaks and if you can get out just for walks even in nature if you can do that even for a short while getting into the outside space helps you deal with the inside space because when you're at home all the time doing everything, you can't see the wood for the trees because you're in the middle of doing. But when you take yourself away, which I did on a quite strong thing, I ended up on a silent retreat when I hit crisis point and I did shut up for five days. Tell us a bit about that, Sarah, if you don't mind. <clears throat> well, it was the leaving myself last, um, people pleasing, constantly people pleasing, because that's how we end up being as carers, trying to make sure everybody's okay. You actually suppress your emotions. Um, 
we're very good at it. You, you're, you're cut off from your body, really. You don't really feel anymore. You probably don't cry anymore. Um, a lot of carers are like that. Uh, but you do need to feel and you do need to start to get in tune with your body. And because I'd kind of really shut down and, and suppress my emotions, because that happens, what it does is it also lowers your immune system. And with that, um, I was just picking up, I had this horrendous chest infection that I had for months. Antibiotics did not touch it. And then I ended up with MRSA infection in both ears, brought home from Neil when he came from hospital. And of course, I was touching him and holding him. So I then ended up back and forth from hospital as well. So we made a right pair, you know, <laughs> back and forth together. I, you know, I'd given up drinking, which was a tall order for me, I have to say, because I do like a drink <laughs> and a good time. Um, I, I wasn't getting out to see friends because I was too ill, but I was caring for him. Um, I felt lonely and isolated, really, in, in that way. I felt quite flat. And trying to eat healthily, it, it took out all joy, really. So I think the things that I just, there was no joy, really, in my life. And I felt like a robot existing mm. for another. And, and because I was in such a poor place, I ended up calling um julia the head nurse at our local hospice when Neil went to the day center and it was my cry for help and that's when things shifted we need to ask help for help and often we're like oh you know i can do this i can do this but you you sometimes it, you need to ask for help no man is an island and neither are we and you're going through tough times you know so she said sarah i've been expecting this call mm. and within a few days Neil went into a nursing home down the road here locally to us. And I then put myself on this silent retreat. And it did say on, on, the, on the main screen, it said, if you're dealing with mental health problems, this might not be good for you. Because it is strong, so be warned if you fancy doing it. <laughs> um, but I didn't care because a couple of hot stone massages weren't going to sort this out. <laughs> I, I, I'd not been in a good place for a long time. Um, but it was really powerful, uncomfortable. Um, doing the, the the being in silence, no distractions, so the chatter in your mind becomes much bigger. So you were uncomfortable beforehand. This becomes even greater. But then they subside, and with that, um, I just felt peace. I felt a lightness in my heart. Um, and sadly, when I just come out of it, um, I'd been told immediately to ring my parents and I thought, oh my God, that's not good news. I knew it was some, something maybe had happened to Neil, my hubby, or, and it, it wasn't good news. My, my granddad had died. And, um, but I just felt peace actually at that time, just in those moments when I got that call. But what I was angry about was I hadn't really been home for about a year. And my parents only live in Cambridgeshire and I'm here in London. But because I put all my love into one basket, I'd left, you know, those relationships with other family, they, they'd been put to the wayside and I, I would never see him again. And I vowed from that point forward that I wouldn't do that. I'd make sure I saw other family and people I wanted to see or good friends. Don't leave them to the back burner because they're really, they're really important. They're just as important in your life as anybody else. So, you know, cultivate and make sure you've got the right people in your life yeah. and, and be there in, yeah, go visit your friends, see your friends, see your family members and keep in touch with them. It's very easy not to and become blindsided. Yeah. And, and they're that pathway to you and who you are without 
the whole being a carer um in inverted commas um so you know a a part of the book that julia and i both resonated with and enjoyed following on from that was taps and drains oh yeah we talked about this this morning sir it was it was so funny um because uh we've both got our, our separate names for them um mine are radiators and drains lovely and uh and Wiz, I know you've got uh, yours. My energy vampires, yeah. Which you mentioned in the book as well, Sarah. So, yeah, that was just fascinating to to read about that. And I think some of the challenges that you've talked about with friendships and, and particularly friendships of those that we're caring for and how in our role we um, have to you know, tackle some friendships that, that become more important, some that don't survive um and how we do that sensitively both for ourselves and also for our our loved ones i think that's that was really powerful for both of us so maybe you could just talk a little bit more about taps and drains and and friendships quite a big area i know it's it's a big one for all of us actually and for carers you've got you, you don't have the time and the energy to be drained you're dealing with so much already and after i'd fallen ill and i'd come home my good friend joe came and to see how I was. And uh, and with that, we were having a cup of tea in the kitchen. And I said, oh, you know, I said, I, I can do this. She said, I think Neil's needs, needs to go into a nursing home. You're not coping anymore. I said, I can do this. I can care. I said, but you know what really caught me off guard? I said, there was one particular family member and one particular friend. I said, you know, with the friend, she'd had a huge shouting fit at me. And um, in, when I was out with her having a drink, it was quite shocking. Um, I, I'd come out of there and I remember thinking, well, that's a shame. I just remember thinking, I, I won't, you know, I can't see her again. And a family member was consistently judging me and I, it was kind of putting on me. And with that, uh, and that's why I feel that was the catalyst actually for me falling ill on top of caring for Neil. It's like somebody, I was like halfway toppling anyway, and they just gave me a light push and that was it. And with that, Joe said, well, actually said people are like taps or drains. Taps in your life are those who fill you up and make you feel good. Or if you're going through hard times, they put their arm around you and say, right, come on, what can we do about this? How can I help? And then, of course, drains. Well, I think we all know a drain or two in our lives. People who kind of put on you, maybe judge you. Um, sometimes they think they know. You know, they can they quite can sometimes be opinionated. I found personally for me, and I'm thinking, yeah, you don't know. You don't. You're not in it. But they they think they know. But they, so we all have taps and drains in our lives. And I, you know, for anybody listening right now, think of a tap in your life. Somebody who picks you up and makes you feel good. And, you know, you know who they are, they, 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 your go-to. And then we all have drains. Think of a drain. I think we all have somebody that we can think of. And it was a massive eureka moment for me. <laughs> I absolutely loved it when she said that. I laughed. I said, well, these two people are clearly drains. And I knew then to keep my distance. And I know with some carers, that one called it the cull. I'm not particularly keen on that, but... Um, <laughs> She, you know, I, I decided not to see that friend again. I'm not keen on falling out with family. Um, I know carers that have, and it's their choice. It's what they've decided, like, I cannot deal with this anymore. And they've gone, I'm done. And because then it's made their life easier. I wasn't keen on going down that road. 
Um, so I kind of emotionally let them go. So, and I really have, and you know, and, and I don't expect anything of them or from them. So if they cause me any grief or attempt to, or something happens, I kind of almost laugh and go, oh, there it is. You know, you, I kind of catch it mm. and, and always sometimes have a chuckle with a friend, a close friend about it. And then I move on instead of like harboring that, you know, the negativity and the upset. And then after Joe had gone that day, I loved it so much. I got a bit of paper, sat at Neil's desk, drew a line down this piece of paper, taps, drains, and I went through everybody in my life. Bang, 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 bang. And I gave myself a split second, tap or drain, tap or drain. And by the end of it, I had this huge list of taps. I said, my God, Sarah, look at all the taps in your life and you could do this as well. And it was very interesting. There was a very short but poignant list of drains. And I said, you know what? Just keep your distance from them. You know, um, for, and I find with drains, often they're people who are dealing with other problems themselves. They just can't see beyond their nose to see what you're dealing with. And at the time for me, it was caring for a terminally ill husband and they just didn't get it. And they, you know, so that's fine, but just kept my distance. And would, like I say, certain friends, I just never saw them again. And it made my life so better. And, and still today, I still, and I know lots of carers and other friends who love the taps and drains or drains and radiators, Julia, really powerful to make sure that you have the right support network around you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then also the right, sorry, Judith, the right support network around your partner around Neil, so yes. having those people coming to see him and helping those, nurturing those relations or trying to, but even in that circumstance, there were some people that you kind of had to let go, isn't it? Yes, I did. Um, Neil had a lot of friends, like a lot of friends. I don't, I don't think I know anybody who has so many friends. And he said that at the beginning and when I first started seeing him, but I could almost count on one hand of those who came to see him at the end. And a friend of mine said, you know, Neil's been ill for too long. People have kind of moved on. Um, I found it very, I, I, I did actually at times get quite angry and get upset. You know, they'd all be hanging out together, but they kind of wouldn't come, come and see Neil. Or I remember one particular guy, he came to the rugby, because I'm right there by Twickenham Stadium. And uh, we'd been there for the day and I wheeled Neil home. And then I found out this particular one of Neil's old, really old good friends had been, he'd have probably gone right past Neil, our front door, but he didn't even put his head in. He hadn't seen Neil for five years. And when I, I went back up, there was a paid carer with Neil and I went up to have a, a drink with the boys and some friends. And when I found out he was there, I hit the roof. <laughs> they kind of looked really quite, really shocked because I, I was just so, it really kind of hit a point for me. And then... The next day when I spoke to our, the, the paid carer who came in, Sam, she said, well, I would tell him. I said, you, but you know, it's not a barrel of laughs to come sometimes. You know, Neil was a mute by then. You know, he, he was severely disabled being hoisted in and out of a wheelchair. It, 
you know, if you, you have got your weekend off, the last thing you want to do is sit with somebody severely disabled. <clears throat> it's very upsetting. Um, so I decided to just text this friend and I said, hey, here you were with rugby. We were as well, me and Neil, but um, let us know next time. Or oh, within seconds, he rang. And I said, well, you're a blast from the past. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the mickey. He said, don't make me feel guilty more than I already am. And I think he knew. But sometimes people avoid. And guys, I feel felt like men in, in general, not all men, of course, some, some are absolutely fantastic, who are good friends of mine, but they find it difficult to express or to deal with it. So they kind of keep their distance. They, they ask on the grapevine, but they don't turn up or visit or come and see, even for just 10 minutes. And I would say to anybody, you don't have to do much. Just turn up for like 10 minutes and say, how are you doing? Have a cup of tea and then and then go. Um, but people find they, one guy said of Neil, one of Neil's friends, the weeks have turned into months and now are years and I have finally cut my losses. So it's really sad, but it's just part of life, Julia, isn't it? It is. And I think that um, it's important to realise that many of those friends are grieving as well in the same way that that we have. And maybe it's difficult for some friends to kind of work out what what that new new friendship might look like when they're not faced with the everyday, um, you know, contact that that we have. And I think there are challenges. But yes, that message of how important it is to maintain those friendships, even even just a text or a or a short visit goes so far, I think, doesn't it? Both um, for the per, the their friend, but also for us as part of the wider support network. I think it's, it, yes, it's so valuable. Because you've found that a bit with Hector, haven't you? Yeah, certainly. I think that there, you know, the, the way I try to, to think about it too is the power of the friendships that have remained you know those those people that are still in our lives and still making the effort that bring such joy to to Hector and to to me and the whole family. It's so powerful that I think um, you know it just shows how important it is if people can do it and stay in touch. They're special um, people, Julia, aren't they? You know, they you know, are very special not, people. There's not lots of them, but when you've got that small close knit and they they still come, they still visit, they see you. It's quite, it, they are quite a, a rare breed, I would say, a calibre of folk. Yes, and I think I've seen some friends that have taken on particular roles as well that, that they then feel they grow into, you know, like maybe going to the football or, you know, send it, making a phone call or whatever it is. And, and, and you know, that then just becomes part of the rhythm of the friendship, which is as we've just said so valuable it helps us as well Absolutely. to have somebody right you can go out with them for the day or you know take him out for a bit having a that support network just helps everybody it not just helps that person but it helps you it helps you know my kids to not you know for him to get some different energies oh, different energies and different conversations going and it just uplifts everybody it does it shakes the dynamics as well it gives you something else to talk about 
um, you know, somebody else, you know, Neil's relationship, for example, I call her Brenda the Befriender because she was called Brenda, which I find quite amusing. Um, but she was great and she she got a great sense of humour as well, as Neil did. So they were great together, you know, so I, I'd go off and leave them to it. But you've got a different conversation, different things were spoken about. Um, it just lifts it, it changes things. But for all of us, it, it just it, it just allows and lifts the spirit for all of us when you, like you say, you've got your like-minded souls, good friends who will come and visit and shake it up a bit. And I think those good friends role model the best of humanity as well, don't they? I mean, when I think about my children, how they're seeing the power of those friendships and how that informs their own friendships and how they behave, as for all of us. Um, the other thing I wanted to return to, Sarah, was taps and drains, loving taps and drains. But I think the other piece for me is how we as carers want to be perceived. And I think I often think, well, I don't want to be a drain. You know, I I myself don't want to fall into the category of being a drain on other people and my dear friends. And, uh, you know, I think as, as you mentioned as well, all of us have times when we we need support ourselves and we could say that puts us into a drain category for that, that period of time. Um, but maybe not. Hopefully overall, um, there's a sort of average of whether we're a tap or a drain. But I do think that that's something that maybe as carers, we have to um, kind of think about and be conscious of and also, you know, not not beat ourselves up when we want to ask for support or when we need that support and not to think that we are just being a drain on other people by asking for that support. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one that you say that, Julia. Um, I, I, I'm just thinking of a particular, I mean, I'm not too bad, but I do remember sometimes going on about it. You know, I, I talk about focus on the good stuff as well, because we can easily focus on the negative. And there's a lot of negative that we can deal with. Let's, with COVID and everything that's happened of recent as well, there's a lot to to focus on on that side don't worry about that it's an endless bottomless pit i think um but um i would be aware i'd talk about it for some time with, if i was out for friends and then we'd move on to, to other things because i'm out for a good time and even right at the beginning when neil started to have chemotherapy but he was still up on his feet and stuff i remember us going out one evening and um because I was there at the hospital, you know, I'm an expert now, right? So when there are is, you have two friends, this couple, Kev's asking, oh, you know, what's he having? I said, oh, it's this chemotherapy, he's having this, he's having that. So I was going into divulging and of course they're asking. And then Neil kind of tapped me on the shoulder and went, can we talk about something else? I've come out to have a good time. And I kind of laughed. I said, I'm so sorry, Neil. And we did. And I, I'm a, I was aware of, you know, when we caught up with friends and they genuinely wanted to know, I would... I would give a synopsis mm -hmm. and then we would move on. But I also, and I, I know of a friend, um, a fellow carer who, she has a lot of illness in her family. Uh, it, there's a number of them. And, you know, I know that she, when she's, she's spoken to me, she's found it quite difficult because I think there's so much and it's so much of her life that certain friends have come and then gone. They've, they just don't wanna keep in touch. I think if you're noticing that, just be aware of how much you talk about illness. Yes, we do need to get it off our chest. Yes, we need to sort of, you know, explore ideas or whatever we do. I, I used to 
meet up with after I'd fallen ill with Nadia, my next door neighbour, and we'd have a check in and we'd talk about how the week had been, checking in with yourself regularly. We'd have a cup of tea and go, how's it been? Do I feel better or worse? What issues have come up? What can we do about it? And we just have a laugh about stuff as well. But it was great to do that. So if you've got somebody who's mm. like-minded, who's going through similar things, really good to check in. And you could do it over the phone or Skype or, you know, or have a cup of tea like we did, but really powerful. But I think also it is about focusing on the good stuff. Um, you could, you know, you want to hear about what your friends or family mm. are doing, the excitement. There's, there's still great things to look forward to, things to enjoy. Absolutely. And I think obviously Julia and I have got that relationship where we can talk to each other about the good and the bad things mm -hmm. that have happened. And it is that safe space and is really, really powerful. And I guess with the podcast on a good day, this is our way of helping other people to come in and knowing that they can uh, listen and get whatever they need out of the conversations that we're having. Yes, and I, I think there is sometimes that choice, isn't there, to to look at every day and focus on how to make it a good day, what is a good day. I think that as you phrase your really the whole tone of your book, it is looking at how can we make the best of the days that we have for ourselves and for our loved ones, because, of course, the, the better we make our days, the better the day is for everyone, I think. Absolutely. Picking yourself up, filling yourself up and by whatever means, not only do you feel better, you're in a better state of mind to make better decisions. So you're not just firefighting or in a reaction mode. So, yeah, being, you know, feeling better, do what do what you need to do for you. Um, and, you know, it is about having a good day, having enjoying your enjoying your days because they, they won't be here again these days, weeks or whatever. So make the most of them if you possibly can. How do you feel the whole your whole experience with Neil has changed you, has had a positive impact on your life? Because you're really someone that's found, you know, the positives out of the adversity, you know, found it a gift. In, in a lot of ways. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I, yes, it's, I think we're all a work in progress, aren't we? Um, it's certainly been a long journey and I've changed quite considerably in a, a number of ways. Um, I remember being quite a shouty wife when Neil, <laughs> all those years ago, you know, Neil, poor old Neil listening to my tirade, particularly when he became incontinent overnight and I was having, I, you know, I didn't sign up for that. So, I remember how I was then and then years later, you know, I remember, I'm just going to be honest here, I knocked over a, probably a litre of urine onto the carpet in the living room. <laughs> I put my hands on my hips and went, well, that's annoying. <laughs> it was just completely different. And I noticed it, you know, and um, just things like that, even on the last day of Neil's life, and I didn't realise that he, you know, he weed down my jeans basically which my new jeans and I just I just went oh Neil and not knowing that he was having a stroke at the time and and I didn't know but I I still think back to that now and and 
you know, I, I, I changed quite considerably in that way. But also, you know, when we're on this journey as, as carers and what we're going through, what are you learning? You're learning a lot. Uh, I mean, it's you. I always say, I would say almost that your life is on fast forward right now because you're having to learn and deal with quite a lot of things, not just of what's going on around you. And like I say about me, learning patience and unconditional love was one thing that I learned. I realized I loved Neil unconditionally, um, even when one day he said, I hate you. And I'm going, oh, my God, Neil, do you and he hadn't spoken for months and months, but he was in such a bad place at that time um you know he didn't love himself so why would he suddenly love me but he his eyes then went really wide because now he had an i joke he said he had an angry wife to deal with as well as kind of um <laughs> being unable to because like he could run away and and then i hugged him and i said you know what neil i love you and i always will um and with that you know, that I recognized it was unconditional love. And not everybody has experienced that kind of unconditional love for whatever happens. And for me, you know, the health and well-being side of things, I, I'm sure as, as for you, you guys as well, um, has been profound. So learning about, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, I meditate every day. I'm in a healing group as well. Um, and, and I love doing it. It's about making the world a better place. It's not just about going out and earning money, although that's kind of nice. And, you know, we all need a bit of money. Don't get me wrong. But it's also about how we expand, how we evolve, how we grow on this journey mm -hmm. is, is significant. Um, and I would say again, be kind to yourself whilst you're doing it. Um, because we, I used to beat myself up. I was horrible to myself whilst caring for Neil. Doesn't make for a good day. Be your own best friend. What was your inner voice saying on those bad oh, days? Oh, on those bad days, you stupid idiot. <laughs> you would, you know, oh, for God's sake, you know, I was, or I wouldn't give myself a chance to have a break. I said, oh, well, that needs doing that. Needs. I think, oh, God, I feel tired. I feel ill. Oh, it doesn't matter. On my back, I nearly passed out from the pain in my back at one time. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. Just wouldn't, I, you know, it's not like I'd ring somebody or ask for help. Mm. I just, you know, you wanted to look like you were coping. Mm. It was a yeah. awful, horrible, horrible way to be, horrible way to live. Mm. Anyway, and that is like living a life of hell, to be honest with you. You know, we're here to, dare I say, enjoy life as well. Mm. Even with all that is happening, it, we, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who's looking after a loved one who's got neurological conditions, or anybody for that matter, it is hard. So give yourself a break, be kind to you, and um, do things for yourself every day to make sure that you're okay. I, one of the things I do is also I journal, I talk about this for carers, you know, it's just a notepad and pen, but writing down your inner feelings, what goes on, because often they're on loop in your head. We have something like 70,000 thoughts a day. What kind of thoughts are you thinking? Are they positive or negative? And of course, for most of us, a lot of them are negative. Jotting them down, gets them out of your head and onto paper. You can see it in black and white, really powerful. And then say, well, what can I do about this? Now, with your loved one and what's going on with them, obviously it might be limited of what you can do or how they're reacting. But there, it's up to you how you react, for example. So well, I can only give my love and give my best. And that's all I can do. And then I underline those good things or 
I can take myself away and have a break for, or I can ring this friend. So you just underline the things you can do for yourself. And it's almost like a mini coaching session. It's really good. Great advice. Really good. Yeah, so, I love that. I still use it today. So It is really important because we, we do, we keep all these things in our head and most of them are the same things going round on a loop and a loop and a loop, isn't it? I mean, it's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So getting them down. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. I also think that journaling can be a time to be with yourself where you're saying take that time for yourself. It's also an opportunity to to have some time and that reflective time that is just for you. Yes. Yeah, it's very powerful. You know, I, I, notepad and pen by the bed, really good one for any of us. You know, if anything comes to mind, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, jot it down, then you don't have to keep trying to think about it. And sometimes when I've had a really arduous day, when I was caring, I still do today, or I'm not in a, in a good place, when I get into bed, I go, right, five things that you were thankful for today. And look, you might be going for a really stressful time right now, but still this, the simple pleasures, simple things in life, the sun might have been shining, a friend rang you up, um, you watched something funny on TV, um, the love of your loved one who's still here, you know, all of these things. There's, just a hot shower in the morning, you know, some people don't have that. So just simple things. It then puts you in a good state of mind before you go to sleep. Um, it really does. And yeah. we, I mean, I do my gratitude in the morning and actually I was doing it with the kids even today, you know, what are we grateful for today and like doing it as a collective and doing it with Paul as well. Sometimes, you know, it is coming together. Like what can we all be grateful for? And then you start the day and it in a great way. Absolutely. And then, and then, yeah, again in the evening, What's been great about today? What were the good things? And focus on that before you go to sleep. sleep. But it's, it's really powerful, actually. And, and often we, we let life kind of happen to us. We kind of get pulled sideways. But it, 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 I do talk about manifesting a little bit. But, you know, and I love that kind of thing. But about creating your day. Think about what you want to achieve today. Like today, I was thinking, I want this to be great for us. And for those who are listening, I, you know, I want it to make a difference before coming here. So it's like creating you know, what's going on today? What are you going to do? So it just puts you in that good frame of mind of how you're going to create your day. And look, there's going to be stuff that's going to happen every now and again. I, you know, when you're a carer, of course, of course, you know, but... Um, you can come out feeling all like, you know, really chilled and meditative and then something happens. Oh, yeah. Literally, they walk in the door and they say something and then you're like, you yes. feel like it's all gone, but usually it doesn't take as long to get back to that state if you have been in there originally. I know, I know, you know. And we, we all have that, don't we? we? Yeah, we all do. do. Oh, do you know what, Sarah? It's just been it's been so incredible to have you on and what you went through and how you've shared it with, with everybody in your book, Who Cares?, which is just yeah, everyone should read. It's a manual for, as I've said, like a bit of personal growth in there, just advice, your story, discovering what kind of personality yes. you have, how to react <laughs> with other people. It's all, it's all amazing. Like, how can people get in touch with you? What have you got coming up? Lovely. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, brilliant. So it's, it's Hammersmith Health Books, if you want to Google that. Hammersmith Health Books and on there, who cares? You can read the first chapter for free and, and you can buy it there. It's on Amazon as well. Um, I have a website which is www.whocares and then a number four 
carers.com so who cares for carers.com with the number four in there and there's videos on there um there's also um there's it's about my course on there carers Masterclass. um it's a six-week course but you can watch it in your own time so check that out if you want to learn a bit more about that also even at present i'm i, I give a lot of talks so if there's anybody out there who's interested get in touch with me or by my website i'm on instagram uh, it's like sarah chalice so it's sarah without the h and, and then it's chalice c-h-a-l-l-i-c-e and i'm on twitter and etc as well so i'm banging a, a drum for carers raising the value of care um, I'm also on the Health and Wellbeing Board for Richmond. I think I'm the only and first rep carer representative in the UK at present. Um, really good because when I see the reports, the papers that come through and I'm reading them where carers are left out of the loop, you know, I'm raising my hand and saying, what about carers? What about carers? So, for example, if there's a paper on people in, in Richmond Borough uh, with long term health conditions, you can guarantee there's a carer behind the majority of those. And so it's about making sure those at the top are aware so that we can create more support for those caring for loved ones mm. as we become- Getting those voices heard. Massively, so massively. Well done. So yeah. So we'll my... put all this in the show notes as well, Julia. Yes, um, certainly. You can um, connect with Sarah, but um, it's been an absolute delight, hasn't it, Julia? It really has, Sarah. And I think everything you've said today will be relevant for uh, everyone who's listening and it certainly has been for me so thank you so much my pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me uh, that's been absolutely wonderful and love the fact that you're doing the podcast on a good day so needed it's invaluable so please keep going I can't wait to hear hear all the rest of them as well well and we're gonna have to get you back because there's so much we didn't touch on even the slightest so we'll definitely have to invite you back on another occasion if you'd be happy to come oh i'd love to thank you yeah we didn't talk about the science and the telomeres and stuff which is all kind of intriguing as well and the health and well-being yeah so yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot to get into 100 percent. Right. that's us for now thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time on a good day bye bye Thank you for listening to On A Good Day. Sarah is such a wonderful soul and we loved having her on as a guest. If you enjoyed this episode, which I'm guessing you did because you made it to the end, please take a screenshot and share on your socials. We're really passionate about getting this out and helping as many people as we can who'll benefit from listening. It may be they're going through a similar situation or know someone that is and we're here to show they're not alone. Do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, join our Facebook group, and it would be amazing if you left us a five-star review. Thank you in advance. Please go and have a very good day. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.